Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. We're in the middle of uh, Vision Builders Month, and we each week we get someone to share a little bit of their testimony about how they've um, decided to be part of the Vision Builders in our church. And during this month, we invite you to pray, every person, uh, to pray and ask God if there's some way that He would like you to uh, be involved as well. And so I'd like to invite Pramod Governor to come up and share from his experience. Thanks, Pramod. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Hello, everybody. We have given to Vision Builders uh, since it started in 2008, 11 years ago. We give to Vision Builders because we love God and we love C3 Watson. This is our home and this is the place God has called us to be. We love God and we want to see God's house built here in Watson, in Canberra and throughout the world. And it's not just that God wants our money. In fact, the Bible says God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. But for some reason, God has established that when it comes to giving money, it's a litmus test of our love for Him. In fact, the Bible has over 2,300 verses on giving, and 15% of Jesus' ministry was about giving. If we love God, we cannot but give to God's work. Rick Warren has said something I've quoted many times, that we can give without love, but we can't love without giving. So why does our family give? We give because we are compelled by the love of God to give. And I also want to take this opportunity to say, we have never been able to outgive God. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and verse 11, I'm going to put them both together, says, each one of you should give what God has placed on your heart to give. Why? And what will happen? You will be enriched in every way. Why will you be enriched in every way? So that you can be generous on every occasion. Every year as we've given, it's been daunting the amount God has placed on our heart. It's felt like a mountain that's impossible to scale. But we have given out of our resources what we could give. And we have watered in faith the seeds that we have planted through prayer, through coming to God, through positive confession. And I can testify that over 11 years, every single year, not only have we been able to give what we have pledged, but we have given 81% more than what we have pledged. And through it all, I can say that we are more blessed today as a family than I could have ever dreamed or imagined. And so we give because the love of God compels us to give. And no matter how much we give, we have never been able to outgive the love and blessings that God has for us. Thank you. Thank you, Pramod. Wonderful. And uh, I do not want to update my iPhone. Thank you, right now. Okay. 
Wonderful. And so uh, in two weeks, two Sundays time, we have our, what we call our Pledge Sunday. And uh, it's going, uh, this year actually calling it Miracle Sunday. And we invite you to come along to that, having prayed and thought, yeah, this is what God would have us do. And we're only interested in willing hearts. If you feel nothing from God, then don't give anything. Uh, but if you feel something from God, then don't ignore it. All right, so I'm talking today about uh, the blessing of seeing things God's way because we can have perception problems. Uh, it's, it's great what we think about God, but what's really important is what God thinks about God. And, and it's, it's interesting what some people think about marriage, but it's important to know what God thinks about marriage. And, and in this month, we, we acknowledge that different people have different views about money, but all of us need to know what does God say about money because our perception needs to line up with Him if we want to have that uh, alignment in every area of our life, including uh, our money. And God says a lot about money. As Pramod said, there's this huge percentage of Jesus' uh, teaching is about money. And some people say, well, church should not be talking about money. They talk about money, that church, so they just want my money. Well, you've just kicked Jesus out of the church because He talked about money a lot. And I want to know what he says about it. How about this verse here in Matthew 6, 19? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. There are uh, so many verses about money that Jesus wants us to to get because our thinking can be still affected by where we've come from, from our, the way our parents taught us about money or what, the way we heard, what we heard them saying. We might not even remember what we heard, but subconsciously we took it in. I know that my father had uh, a lot of issues with money. You know, he was a, a Yorkshireman and he was what they call uh, penny wise and pound foolish, so... Uh, there'd be a lot of scrimping and saving over tiny amounts and then make some big, unusual purchases. And so I needed to have my mind rearranged. And all of us need to do that. And what's interesting about God's economy is that it's not... When, he, when God is uh, thinking about the economy that we live in, He's not just thinking about money. He's thinking about our whole life. He's thinking about our relationships. He's thinking about our workplace. He's thinking about our health. He's thinking, thinking about our mental health. He's thinking about all the aspects of our lives. And when we uh, think about our lives, sometimes we can do so in a very patchwork manner. Oh, I haven't spent enough time with my children, so I better uh, spend some time with my children. Okay, I have neglected some of my work that I needed to do for my workplace, so I need to focus on that for a long time. Oh, I'm, I'm not as healthy as I was. I need to focus on getting fit for a, a few weeks. Oh, that means I haven't noticed my wife very much. Is my wife still around? <laughs> focus, there she is. Focus on you for a while, and we can have this, we can build up a life that's a patchwork life. Whereas God is wanting to guide us by His Holy Spirit and His Word so that every moment of every day we're being led by His Spirit and without even consciously thinking about it, we are addressing our whole life because He's weaving all the different colors together, not into a patchwork, but into a beautiful tapestry 
that is a beautiful picture, that your life becomes a, an artwork in the gallery of God, a beautiful landscape. Some people may have a, maybe a beautiful abstract. You know who you are. A beautiful tapestry is what God wants. And he gives us, gives us the advice and the direction and the guidance to do that. God's way is to simultaneously weave all the different parts of our lives together into a beautiful, balanced thing called shalom. Now, we hear people say shalom uh, in movies or whatever, and we think, well, that means peace. But peace is only a very small part of the word shalom. Peace, uh, the word shalom encompasses all, much, much more. When God wanted shalom for his people, he wanted, and you look up Bible dictionaries for this to see for yourself, it means completeness. It means well-being. It means prosperity. It means freedom. So when you're wishing someone shalom, you're wishing the full blessing of God. And all of us are on a journey from somewhere to shalom. And if we just follow God, we'll get to closer and closer to a life of shalom, a life of prosperity, a life of blessing, a life of freedom, true freedom. But along the way, there's baggage that we need to drop and there's some other things we need to pick up. And God will say, I want you to drop that one and I want you to pick up that one. But this one's so comfortable. I've been carrying this around for years. I want you to let it go. And he'll guide us. Look at Numbers 6, verses 23 to 26. Uh, these screens are a little bit fuzzy, so I'll have to come over here. Uh, it's, it's a lens problem. Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. This is all part of Shalom. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his Shalom. That is the word Shalom right there. All those things, protection and favor and God smiling on us. That's where God wants to take us. He took the people to the promised land, which was where he wanted to take them. It was a land of shalom. But he had to take them out of Egypt first. And when he took them out of a place of slavery, misery, brokenness, poverty, and he'd started them on the journey, he'd taken them out of those things. But he still had to take brokenness, poverty, slavery out of them. Because it was still in their minds. And when we are born again, we say, yes, God, I receive the freedom from my spiritual prison and from this spiritual darkness and I'm headed towards you. And God says, that's great, fantastic. The journey's begun. And now I'm going to take all of that darkness, that poverty, that brokenness out of you. Just stay with the program. We're going to, I'm taking you to Shalom. Are you ready for the journey? Are you ready for the journey, church? When people are in slavery, they have certain characteristics. But God is in the business. He's a specialist at taking people in this situation and turning them into shalom people. He said, I'm looking for a people who I can build a mighty nation, a prosperous, a peaceful, free, uh, expansive joy-filled nation, and I choose you guys. Now, these guys are in Egypt. They're slaves. Look at this verse here in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. 
They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with their crushing, with crushing labor. It's not a political comment. Crushing labor. Okay, come on. Here we are. They were broken and poor physically and mentally. Physically, they just got to eat what they get to get their hands on. They were not paid with money, according to archaeologists, the records they've looked at, uh, that they were paid in wheat and barley generally. So they had bread and beer. There you go. Sometimes they were given fish, fish and oil and wood, but usually it was wheat and barley and it was just a set amount every day. They, were, they did not have very many clothes to choose from. They were physically beaten. They were in a hard, toiling job. When you're in a hard, physically hard, laboring job and uh, when you're building buildings out of limestone, there's a lot of limestone dust up your nose and in your respiratory system. They were susceptible to diseases. They were not in a good place. They were, they were physically weak. How many of these things do we relate to? Well, let's keep going because mentally it was worse. Mentally, they're at the bottom of the ladder. They were right down the bottom. They were the nobodies. They were under rules that were biased against them. They had no say over their daily activities. They just did what they were told. They had no say over where they could go. They were in the constant threat, under a constant threat of danger and suspicions, like living in Nazi Germany where just a little child from next door could dob you in and you'd have trouble. They lived under that. They were more susceptible to mental problems and they tended to assume the worst. And people, uh, studies of people who've come out of prison after many decades of being in prison say that, this is, that there's a scarcity mindset that is over them. And yet God said, oh, I can take those people from there and I can make something wonderful. I just need them to transform their mind. And I'm going to make them do that. I'm going to help them to do that. People who've been in prison for a long time, and this can be us when we've uh, not been born again, they can have a, an inability to connect with other people. Their feelings are flat. They uh, don't care about the truth. They just worry about what the boss says and just do that. Because they have a survival mentality. Just get through the day without anything dangerous happening without any threat. They are less able to trust people. They are less able to make decisions, less able to take risks, less able to dream. They just want to survive. They don't have a vision because the future is just one endless stream of the present. It's not getting any better. People who've come out of prison and are poor have a, a more influenced by what they want right now, and it's very difficult to think about the future. And we can be like that. We can be so concerned about the issues of today that we lose track of the ultimate goals in our life and the ultimate, what we really want. And God says, I can change that. What is it that you're really after? And then suddenly they were busted out of prison. They were busted out, and there would have been a little bit of a celebration, but... Very soon they started to, the, the old mindset started to click in and started to remind them of who they were or who they weren't. 
and they still got that prisoner mentality. They start whinging and complaining about little things and starting to think, oh, it's actually, I think it's better back there. And some prisoners cannot adjust society. They want to go back in because they had it all worked out. They didn't have to think, didn't have to make any decisions. It was better there. We got food every day. And God says, okay, I've started you on the journey. Now let's, let's keep moving. Let's keep going forward. Because I'm taking you to a place that you don't even realize how much bigger a person you're going to be. And it's the same thing for you and me. And in our opinions about money, but also about other relationships, about life itself, about risk-taking, about dreaming. God wants to put dreams inside of each of us. So he took a bunch of ex-slaves who were crushed and mentally broken. It's really interesting that Jesus taught that blind people, he, has, he, he came to give blind people sight. He came to bring lame people the ability to walk. He came to take prisoners out. What did he come to give poor people? It was not money. He said, tell them the poor people having the gospel preached to them because poor people don't need money. Poor people need a new way of thinking. And you and I need a new way of thinking. Every day, I don't need more money. I need more God. I need more, more of Him. I need a new way of thinking. All of us do every day. Jesus said it. They don't need money. They need more of the gospel, more of Jesus, more of God. So here he is, a bunch of ex-slaves, and he's going to turn them into a mighty nation. How did he do it? Well, here's just a few ways. He wanted to take poverty out of them. Well, the first way is that God wanted to create trust where there was no trust. Remember, people in uh, poverty and slavery cannot trust anybody because someone's going to come and slap them down again just when they thought they could. They'd be betrayed by a neighbor or somebody. And God says, I've got to teach you trust. So first of all, you're out of Egypt. So that's a good thing. Secondly, I'm going to give you a cloud that's my presence and it's going to shelter you by the day. It's going to warm you at night and it's going to guide you every time you have to make a new move. And God gives us the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will warm you. It'll warm your heart. And, uh, and during the day, He'll guide you. Let's talk to that person. Don't get angry. Show a bit of love. A bit of kindness. You know, the Holy Spirit is guiding us through the day. And yet we need to trust the move of the Holy Spirit. God's building trust. Come on, I want you to trust more. Don't be a poor person who doesn't trust. Trust me. Trust me. Come on, Paul. Trust me more. Exodus 16, verses 4 and verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I'll test them in this to see whether or not they'll follow my instructions. Verse 12. I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them in the evening you'll have meat to it. In the morning you'll have all the bread you want. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God. So he brought manna every day for 40 years. And then he also brought some quail in on this occasion. Some meat. They've been complaining. Haven't had enough meat? Yeah, I've had all the free fries that I need. I want some burger. So he gave them some quail. But the point is that God's removed, completely removed the, the most 
central fear after being in prison, the most central fear for a poor person is where's the food coming from for tomorrow? Where is it coming from today? God said, I'm going to give you food every day. Awesome. It's all covered all over the ground. I can get so much. I can just have heaps. He says, no, no, just get enough for today. What about tomorrow? Trust me, it'll be there tomorrow. He's building trust. God is always on your case, on my case, to build our trust. Whatever you're going through right now, I can guarantee you're going through something where God's saying, trust me. And you're saying, I don't know if I can trust you. Trust me. I trusted you for that thing a couple of days ago, last year or whatever. Trust me again. God's constantly going to do it. It's never going to change. You're always going to be pushed in this area. God's going to say, trust me. Trust me again. Trust me again. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe. Believe more. Trust more. Trust that I love you. Trust that I'm going to provide for you. He did the same thing with water from a rock. He made a river. In God's economy, things are not little water bottles handed out to everybody by the United Nations. He just explodes a rock. Poo, pow, water fountain comes out. There's, a, there's not just a few Israelites. There's millions of them, plus their animals. And he starts a river that's not there before. And he says, right, oh, come on, come up to the river and take the water. This flow, this flow, this flow. Sometimes we can, a poverty person thinks that it just in chunks, that this is it, that's what I've got, hold on tight. And God is saying, no, it's going it's to flow. Your life is all about flow. Flow with me in the rhythms of the Holy Spirit and grace. God said to them, you are to be the head and not the tail. He said, he got Moses to speak it over their lives. You will be the head and not the tail. You will not be a borrower. You'll be a lender. You're not going to be the last. You're going to be the first. You know, we need to be speaking to the, over our own lives. We can prophesy over our own lives. In fact, all of us are prophesying over our own life right now. Every day we are prophets because we speak over ourselves. What are you saying? God is saying, say this, I'm in the head, I'm not the tail. I was the tail in Egypt, but I'm the head now. That's not putting other people down, it's just changing your thinking. This, I can do this. I'm built for this. I can come through this difficult situation. God is with me. And we start to speak over our lives, whatever that challenge is. God's with me. God wants me to win and not to fail and give up. Okay, so that's the first thing, is trust. Oh, I should also mention that a particular trust stretch that he had them do was that he said, the firstborn of your flocks and your families belongs to me. But I've just been waiting for this sheep to give birth. It's been pregnant for months and now it's going to give birth and I don't have any other lambs in the flock. That belongs to me. In fact, all the firstborn males belong to me. You can imagine the temptation. Oh, I've given three of the firstborn males. I'll just keep this one. Right? Trust me. Again, this is the same thing as with the manna. God's stretching them out. Come on, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And God does the same thing to us. Trust me with your finances. Well, but I can't afford to give. Okay, well, you try that and see how it goes for you. Or he says, test me. Give me the first of yours, and see what happens. And we've got numerous testimonies in our church of people who've done that and said, 
I got the promotion the next week. I got the promotion next month or whatever. I got this, got that. It's just amazing. I don't know how it all happened. God wants us to have trust. So the first thing that destroys poverty in our minds is greater trust in God. I'm just going to step out on the, on the water and I'm going to see what happens. Number two, God wants them, wanted them to honour him. And uh, if you look in Numbers 2, verses 1 to 2, we read this. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses and Aaron. When the Israelites set up camp, each tribe will be assigned its own area. The tribal, tribal divisions will camp beneath their family banners on all the four sides of the tabernacle, but at some distance from it. it sounds like a school carnival. They've got all the yellow team over there and some purples and everything. Yeah. God put the tabernacle in the middle. They'd come in their poverty. They'd, been, they'd seen that the Pharaoh was the center of everything. His pyramids and buildings and temples were all the middle of everything. They the great focus. And God says, no, no, no. You need to put me as the central focus with all of you facing me. And then that will change something. Because you, 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 every time you're tempted to think, oh, things work out, this is how life is. No, that is how life is. We face God. We focus on Him. Make Him the centerpiece of our life and our world revolves around Him. Heaven is all about everything revolving around the throne. And here we are in uh, the Old Testament, God's saying, you need to all be facing me. If you want to get out of that poverty thing and that prison of, of bad thinking, you need to put me first, focus on what I'm saying, and then that'll all just dissipate. And the next thing he did in Exodus 20, of course, was he gave the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other ceremonial ordinances that, are not, uh, that were applicable in the Old Testament, not as relevant today. But he set it all up. He said, this is how you behave. I know the Egyptians had this sort of lifestyle. That's not going to be the way it is with you. Honor me by honoring what I ask you to do. And it's not like God is trying to set us up for failure with a boring life. I'm going to make this life as boring as possible. What will I do? Ah, I know. They can't have adultery. Right. You shall not. No, he wants to create a community of great marriages, great lives, awesome success in every area of life. And he said, these things, you put them in place, you will automatically start to see things shift around. And start to see things working that weren't working before. And the third thing that God asked him asked uh, the Israelites to do, after years and years, actually initially they said no to this, and it cost them forty years. Go around the mountain again. But what God said that for them to do was, I want you to take the promised land. And the and they shrank back. So we can't do it. We're just a bunch of ex-slaves, and they are giants over there. And God said, but don't you remember this and that, all these things I've done for you, all the things, uh, my great power for you. Can't you do it with my help? And it's like they said, well, you do it. We don't have to do anything because you're the, the God. You're looking after us. Why are you asking us to do something? And one of the, the great uh, tricks in our mind that holds us to a poverty mentality is that we expect someone else to do it. 
We expect someone else to pay the price, someone else to do the work, someone else to carry the load, not us. It's a childlike, a childish approach to life. It's, it's what's called the welfare mentality. It's where I, I just show up and it's all done for me. I'll go to a party and uh, other people bring some snacks and drinks and I just show up and had a great time. Yeah, it was awesome. That's a welfare mentality. God says, no, don't do that. Put your skin in the game. Make it cost you something. When you go to the party, make sure that you take some snacks. Make sure that you take a drink and surprise the hosts. Well, but they, they said don't bring anything. It doesn't matter. Bring something. And this church is not built on welfare. You know, we, we, we love people coming to the church, but if you consider yourself a member here, a real member of our church doesn't just come and say, oh, this is nice chairs. Oh, I'm going to sit on this chair. This is a nice building, nice everything. I'm going to use that, use that, use that. Someone's paying for it. I don't know who. No, a member doesn't think like that. That's a poverty welfare thinking. Uh, God is saying to the people of Israel, rise up. The manna is going to stop. As soon as you eat, take a bite from any of that food in the promised land, the manna is stopping. So you better be ready to fend for yourself because God's not raising babies. Babies don't have to do anything. They just lie there. Someone feeds them. Someone changes them. That's an illustration that you'll never forget. Someone carries them, carries them around. And it's a great place to be. And secretly, all of us would like to be back there because we'd like to be able to sit in our lounge room, watch TV, have on tap food and drink and just nobody disturb me because I'm just doing whatever I want. <laughs> Husband mentality. Wow. I won't identify the person who said that. Okay. God says, come on, up you get. I've looked after you. You've been like a child to me, a young one. Now, up you get, pick up a sword. What, what are you going to do, God? I'll be there. I'll make everything work out. But you need to swing a sword. You need to put some skin in the game. And I believe over vision builders is an opportunity for you to say, you know what? Other people have got us this far. But there's still a weight that needs to be carried. I'm going to help carry some. And that's, that's moving us from a poverty mentality where everything's done by someone else to saying, no, I'm part of the, I'm part of the team. I'm part of the team. I can't contribute as much as that person or that person or that person, but I can contribute something. And uh, we invite you to, to move out of that. Take that challenge. All right. And the way he did that was, first of all, to say, you're going to take the promised land. But also he had previously said, I want you to be involved in building this tabernacle. I invited everybody to give something. But it was interesting. He said, just those with a willing heart, bring what you can. And people gave towards it. And that's the same thing we ask for as well. We're not asking for people who are not willing. We only want people who are willing to be part of our team here. And then we'll find as we trust God more, as we honour God more, as we take a step to put 
ourselves into the game. That the poverty mentality drifts down and we move closer to a shalom mentality. We start to see God moving in ways we haven't seen him move before. And we also grow up. We mature. We become people that God intends for us to be. Our work, our health, our finances, our relationships. In every area, God says, step into it. Don't be a backseat person. Step into your marriage. Step into your job. Step into your health. Step into those relationships that God's got around you. And get into that. All right. And uh, I just feel led to say that we, we as your leaders are committed to leading the way. And um, there's never been a year when we haven't committed less than $18,000 to the building fund. Sometimes it's gone up as high as 50000 But we have that skin in the game. And we invite you to join us. It doesn't have to be anything like that, okay? Uh, but I just wanted to let you know that as the leaders that we... We don't normally say the actual sort of amounts, but we just want to, to, for you to know that our skin is in the game. We are doing this, all right? And... Uh, we have beautiful teenagers who contribute, who, who dedicate $100 for the year. And it's like the um, widow's might. You think, $100 for a teenager? Where are they getting all that money from? Really? It's so generous. It's fantastic. And we just ask you to consider what God might want you to do as well as we approach Miracle Sunday. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.